Mark Langevin. Welcome to Worldviews. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here and to talk about one of my favorite subjects, Brazil. Many of our listeners know I spend some time there and that uh, I really love the country. But Brazil is undergoing some challenging times. Um, We also know that the corruption charges against President Lula, for example, former President Lula. But Mark, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the work you're doing or the things that you're paying attention to specifically regarding the political environment? You know, we have to recognize that it's not just Lula. Most of the major political parties, major political figures, including Lula, Uh, have had uh, investigations and prosecutions with regarding what some of us would define as the Petrobras procurement kickback scheme, which some people call car wash, lava jato. Uh, So it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of, you know, it involved a lot of um, kickbacks that then were converted into campaign slush funds for politicians that were most of them in alliance with Lula as president and later Jilma as president, but not exclusively. There were opposition parties, uh, major opposition parties, uh, who had uh, elected officials caught up in the uh, investigations as well. Now, as far as Lula specifically goes, some have said, at least when I was there, that they really don't feel like his particular case as, was as bad as some of the others, like like Tamers, like Jilmas, that he wasn't as embroiled in this. Would you agree with that? Or what what is the public thinking? It's a great question. And I've been lucky enough in the last 18 months to spend some time with Judge Moro, who uh, was the judge for the original conviction of Lula. And I've spent considerable time and follow-up discussions with Lula's lawyers. So I've tried to look at this uh, case from a couple different ways. And I think that I was surprised that the uh, prosecution chose this particular case to go after the former president because it's a case that is weak on its merits in terms of establishing the facts of a quid pro quo corruption case. Um, And you would think that trying to prosecute a very popular former president, you would need a stronger case so that you could at least eliminate the appearance of politicization. And so now Brazil's split between those that feel that the the prosecution and the judge and the appellate judges that upheld the conviction have been acting as, you know, uh, as a political force rather than a responsible judiciary. And then you've got others who highly disapprove of Lula and the Workers' Party who have not expressed a critical understanding of the judicial process against Lula and some of the other uh, elected officials that have been convicted under the Lava Jato or Car Wash scheme. You mentioned the politicization of these issues and particularly the judiciary. You know, I'm always learning when I'm in Brazil, and I was it was interesting to learn this last time I was there, I met a couple of legislators, and they were making this very comment that the the entire country is just, they, they were just saying this is very Brazilian, you know, the whole entire country, everything is so politicized. And even like social services, I'd love to, to get your thought on this. Social services are so heavily politicized. I mean, when you talk about this kind of car wash scheme and the kickbacks to the um, politicians for their campaigns, that this is also going on through social services that are being provided, let's say in favelas, that in, in Hosinha, one of the biggest and one of the wealthiest, I mean, 
mean, you know, air quotes there, uh, favelas in terms of like its location and the kind of activities going on there, that these services are, are also providing kickbacks to politicians in order to kind of play for votes in these communities. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not the expert, obviously, on this. Can you give us some sense of how that's working and how that's different than maybe here or anywhere else? I think there's a couple uh, facts that we should recognize first that Brazilian elected officials in some of the bigger cities, wealthier states, and certainly uh, in Congress are very well paid, probably the best paid on a per capita income basis of any other democracy around the world, including the United States. So these are, uh, you know, here in Washington, in Washington, D.C., we call them plums, but they're more than plums. These are some of the best jobs that any Brazilian can get. And then aside from that, one has to ask the question, of course, there's going to be a great amount of competition to these elected offices, but they get free radio and TV time. They are prohibited by law of making these large expenditures on high-priced items like concerts and food baskets and other things to call attention to their campaigns. So why do they need all this slush money? And I think that the media, Judge Moro and the uh, um, task force, the Lava Jato or Car Wash task, Prosecutorial Task Force, have not spent enough time looking into this. And I think uh, what, what we see, and this would include some of the smaller kickback schemes on contractors that provide public services like school lunches or this, that, the other thing, is that in order to run a campaign in Brazil, you need to pay the gatekeepers. And these are people that can be, you know, a retired housewife in a neighborhood uh, who allows you to campaign in the neighborhood to mayors, city council people uh, who allow you to campaign in their neck of the woods. And they receive under-the-table payments to open the gates. And I think this would account for the um, high-priced elections and having most, maybe half or more of the election campaign expenditures come out of the slush funds that, are, that were financed uh, by the Petrobras kickbacks and, and other kickback schemes. I think that's something that political scientists in Brazil and the media need to investigate, is to what degree are these gatekeepers and the illegal payments made to them essential for Brazilian democracy? And how can a political reform be moved through the Brazilian Congress that directly relates to this challenge? and brings it to a transparent surface so that all Brazilians can decide for themselves what should be legal, what should be illegal, and that the illegal activities, including the slush funds, including uh, people that receive these under-the-table payments, be prosecuted for that. A couple of really important things that I want to pick up on what you said. I mean, the transparency issue. I mean, one of the things that I keep hearing from Brazilians is that they actually feel like because there's this perception, right, that Brazil is just embroiled in all of this corruption and that it's somehow really bad and different from other parts of the world, even though we see this side, sort of activity everywhere. But their response to me is, well, but the system is looking at it and we are facing these these people are facing corruption charges and they are being prosecuted and convicted and that's a good sign and that's something that would indicate that Brazil is really you know growing and developing in their democracy would you agree with that I agree but uh, I think that it's not black and white it's a marble right where you have forces fighting corruption and fighting for trans transparency but they're doing it in an instrumentalist way to elect a political faction to office or candidate. 
And then you have others that really do want a popular democracy, uh, including many members and leaders of the Workers' Party, Lula's Party, who want transparency but haven't mustered the courage to impose that same standard on their own internal operations and the conduct of their own elected official party members. And I think that's what we're seeing right now in this juncture is a lack of political leadership, a lack of political courage to talk about the facts on the ground and to begin to have a discussion about what kinds of political reforms are necessary to really diminish the kind of corruption. And we're talking about kickback corruption on government contracts to finance political campaigns. Yes, there's some money that goes to Swiss bank accounts, but most of it is going to finance political campaigns that need to pay gatekeepers in order to win election to office. So you also mentioned the kind of asking the question, what is the economic necessity of this? Why is this economically essential? They're highly paid. They get free airtime, all of these things. But, I mean, they also are experiencing a significant economic crisis in Brazil, too, because of diminished uh, global energy prices, oil prices. And Brazil is obviously a major oil-producing state, an exporting state, that they have these significant economic issues as well. Is, Is that related at all? Or is this just like an overall political and economic culture that we're dealing with in Brazil? It's hard not to relate the two because of the concurrent explosion of the corruption scandal in April of 2014 that also came with the widespread recognition that Brazil was diving into a deep economic recession. And so clearly the impeachment of former President Dilma of the Workers' Party in April of 2016 had a lot to do with the state of the economy. I like to remind everybody that in May of 2013, President Dilma's approval ratings were at about 78%, higher than Lula, higher than any Brazilian president elected since since the transition to democracy in 1985. That's an important um, fact to establish on the ground. And then, of course, we have mobilizations in June of 2013 that start the process of what then became the impeachment in April of 2016. And so... Certainly the, the recession, in a sense, inflamed the corruption scandal. I think that if the economy had been booming, a lot of things would have been swept under the rug, uh, as they have been in the past in Brazil. But yes, there are many f- legitimate forces that are fighting for political accountability and transparency, and their struggle has been long-term and a trend upward. And I would look at those groups, uh, especially the watchdog groups like Contas Abertas and my National Congress, um, who are really trying to render up information for voters and other organizations to understand what's going on in Congress uh, with campaign contributions, with uh, budget expenditures, office expenditures for elected officials and so forth. I think that's a good trend, but right now we're in the muck of a lot of people in an opportunistic way trying to take advantage of the corruption scandals to uh, advance their own candidacies. Well, in, in the couple minutes we have left, Mark, I have to always end on a hopeful note. Um, I ask people in Brazil all the time, you know, what is it that you're hopeful about? Where's the, the future leadership? Where, you know, are you looking forward to, you know, certain things happening and transpiring? Because to me, you can't really bet against Brazil. I mean, if, you, if anyone ever spends any time there, you know it's an incredibly large, vibrant 
amazing country with these incredibly resilient people that you just had this, you know, just it's just an incredible place. And, and so you, I can't imagine ever kind of betting against Brazil. Um, but what what can they be? What are you kind of hopeful about for Brazil? And what do you see in terms of their future leadership? Boy, there's a great public opinion study a couple of months ago not just ask questions about who people intended to vote for, but underlying themes and so forth. And there's a couple things that came out of the respondents, which were, were, were quite representative. 75% thought that elections were the most important political action for changing the country, moving it in the right direction. Uh, and I think that's optimistic and impressive. Another 75% or so said that they would not cast their ballot for an incumbent and I think <laughs> democracies must go through these trends in which incumbents fail and other candidates uh, come to the fore. Now, there's a danger to that because there's a lot of irresponsible populists that fill the void. But I think uh, it's an opportunity for Brazil uh, to create new forms of political leadership that are more accountable to the general population and voters. And that opportunity is center stage. And it's just a question, are there enough Brazilians who want to step to the center and run campaigns in a transparent way and try to administer the public sector in a way that, you know, may not satisfy everybody, but is honest and reflects some good governance? That being the case, this is an election year, obviously. This is a presidential election year this fall, uh, 2018. Any predictions? We can't because the, none of us know what will happen. A lot of it will be determined by the outcome of whether Lula is somehow allowed to run or whether he passes the baton to somebody that can run with it as Jilma did in 2010. Well, we will definitely be talking about that again. And they've got a lot to resolve, clearly. So thank you so much, Mark, for being here and sharing your insights about Brazil. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.